Is your local drug dealer running a scam? What would you do if you were walking down the street and you saw two girls start to levitate in midair? And then we travel to East Tennessee State University. Boys and girls, we're going back to school. Or should I say, back to ghoul. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. We're going to talk about ghosts if you weren't clear on that. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. One person who I know always has lots of fun is our newest Patreon supporter coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Give a big round of applause to Cartoon. Everyone give a round of applause. He's walking in. He's two-dimensional. Cartoon, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. You guys can't support the Patreon. I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Tell your friends. Tell your family. That helps the show grow. Now, Cartoon, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the dead rabbit dirigible. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed all the way out to a local coffee shop. I guess we could have walked probably, but here we go. Cartoon is flying us in the Dead Rabbit dirigible just a couple blocks. We are that lazy. And we're going to jump out, uh, use the little repelling lines. We're going to walk in. So we're walking into this coffee shop, aka your neighborhood drug dealer. Caffeine's a drug. Everyone knows this. That's not what this segment is. I'm not blowing the lid off of the caffeine is a drug conspiracy. I have a question, and I, this is a legitimate question, and you guys may know this. When you, I believe the coffee shops are running a scam. Here's the scam. When you walk into pretty much any coffee shop, especially the independent coffee shops, Starbucks, not so much, but independent coffee shops, they will always be festooned with the artwork of a local artist. And underneath the paintings, there's price tags. You know, it'll say like, Bertram's Belt. And it's a picture of a belt on some guy named Bertram. It has a little title, has a little price tag. Does any have you ever known anyone through all of recorded human history? Find me an example of this, like in Pompeii, they're like stuck in the ash, frozen in this pose. Has there ever been a piece of art purchased from a coffee shop ever? Ever. I've actually been in a couple of coffee shops and I'm not a big art guy, like having art on my walls. Like I prefer movie posters or cursed paintings. That's pretty much where it's at for me. But some people like art. Some people like having like a picture of like a tulip or I don't know, a picture of a kid running through a field or whatever. But that's a photo they took. They're hunting humans. They're like, this was my favorite hunt of all. You have this stuff, right? But I've seen some like art at coffee shops that was kind of sexy right and i would be like that's kind of in between a cursed painting and a movie poster something a sexy lady a sexy painting of a lady but i never bought it right i never bought it what i'm saying is even if whether or not it's like a sexy lady or like a photograph of mount hood or just like a a, a painting of a tulip no one ever buys it have you ever been getting coffee or like some guy's like, hmm, I'd like one pound of those beans and a cup of coffee. And then, you know what? How about this $400 painting? He like gets it off the wall and he like puts it down on the counter. Here's my scam. Here's what I'm thinking. That coffee shops know that no one is ever going to buy this artwork. And the artist is either hoping that someone will buy it, someone will see it. Or just wanting the exposure, 
because then it's kind of like you're in an art gallery. But the what's really happening is the coffee shop is getting free decorations. The coffee shop is getting... They, their walls look beautiful, and it's constantly changing. And it's a nice conversation piece. People are like, whoa, can you believe someone's charging $400 for that painting? All it is is a tulip. You have this stuff going on. The coffee shop doesn't have to ever buy paintings. They constantly have a revolving thing of art. And they know no one's ever going to buy the art. So I'm. this is my theory. Again, I don't know if it's true. I might get inundated with emails and YouTube comments saying, oh, no, I purchase art. <laughs> my name's Snooty McGee. And I purchase art, you heathen. And when I buy it, I buy it at a coffee shop. But I can't imagine every independent coffee shop you go into has artwork. And I can't imagine people who are drinking coffee or just walking in to buy a bagel or whatever are also going to drop $1,000 on a painting. But then again, where else are you going to put it? But I don't know. So I would like to know from you guys, have you ever bought coffee shop art? Have you ever made coffee shop art? You're like, Jason, it's not coffee shop art. It's art that is placed in a coffee shop. But you know what I mean. So very, very curious. I think it might be a scam. I think the coffee shops know... I'm glad that the coffee shop I do go to, I know they listen to this podcast, but I think the coffee, I'm never going to be allowed back in there. They're going to ruin my punch card. I think the coffee shops know they're not going to sell art. They know it's just free decorations for them. I don't know though. Maybe it's a booming industry. I've just never, I've never been to someone's house and I go, where'd you buy this painting? And they go, oh, I bought this at Dopio coffee shop. But then again, <laughs> when I go to people's houses, I never ask where they get their art now that I think about it. Cartoon, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We are leaving behind my former friend's house. He says not all artwork has to turn you on, Jason. We are leaving behind my former friend's house. We are headed all the way out to Puerto Rico. We're headed to Montana Santa. That's in Puerto Rico. It's September 22nd. 1982. It's a nice, crisp night. This particular night, two men are walking down the road. Now, they don't know each other. They're just passing through town together. But they would soon become interweaved in an inexplicable event. One of them was a retired police officer. We don't have his name. We'll call him Charles. And he's walking down the street, and he's like, just turned in my badge and my gun today. I just retired today. What mysteries will life hold for me? He's walking down the street. He pauses. And he sees a bizarre event going on. Also walking down the same street at the same time is Felito Felix. Now, hold your applause. I know, I know. You're excited that Felito Felix has finally made his debut on Dead Rabbit Radio. When I read this story, they kept saying the name Felito Felix as if he was somebody important important outside of this story the story lets us know that two people including a retired police officer and felito felix were there i'm like who in the world is felito felix well pardon my ignorance felito felix is apparently a rock or pop or i didn't actually look into the genre of music he's a big musical guy in puerto rico he's recorded 67 albums that's insane. I mean, I don't know how many of them are good or how long they are. They might only be like three seconds long. It might be like 1980s punk rock where the songs are super short. But retired police officer walking down the street and Felito Felix as well. 
Now, you may not know who Felito Felix is. I don't know who he is, but I'm going to imagine for the rest of the story someone of his caliber musically. So maybe a Johnny Cash or maybe maybe Travis Scott. Who knows? Who knows? Whoever your icon is. But or or you can just imagine a guy named Felito. Felito Felix and a retired police officer. What do we name him, Charles? Are walking down the street and they see Two girls standing on a street corner. Migdalia Cintron and Ida Rivera. They're standing on the street corner and they're surrounded with a whirlpool of multicolored lights. Multicolored lights surrounding these girls. And then, like, that's one thing, right? You just figure maybe they have little, maybe they just came from a rave. Maybe they have little flashlights and stuff like that. Multicolored lights surrounding these girls. But to Felito and Charles, they also see a look of panic, of fear on these girls' faces. So they don't know what's causing the lights. And they don't know what's disturbing the girls. But then they know they have to do something. When the two girls begin to levitate off the ground. Whoa, we're floating, one of the girls said. The other girl was speechless. She couldn't think of anything to say. Charles, who gave up his badge and his gun, but never gave up his fighting spirit, starts charging towards the girls. And so does Felito. He's right behind the police officer. And they get to these two girls... And they're going to grab him, right? <laughs> what would you do if you saw someone floating? They're not going to walk up and be like, well, golly, what are you doing three feet off the ground? If you saw someone who was scared floating away, you're going to want to, you, you would instinctively want to grab them. I actually had the maintenance man over at my apartment the other day to fix an outlet. And he was like, I'm not shutting off the electricity. I just want to get this done. And he's like taking out outlet sparks are shooting. I'm like, ah. And I made sure I stood far enough away from him so if he electrocuted himself, I wouldn't instinctively reach out to grab him. Because we have a tendency to reach out and grab people in need. If the person in need is smoldering, don't touch them. And he's alive. He's alive. But, yeah, I, it, I stood far enough away that if I saw him go, I wouldn't instinctively grab him. So the, <laughs> these people are the real heroes. They're running towards fight i'd go the other direction i'm like too spooky i don't want to grab a floating person they're running towards these two hovering girls who look terrified and if they look like they're having a good time you'd be like go nuts ladies fly away but they look terrified and when felito and charles got there they both got shocked like they hit some sort of force field and they fell down the two girls are still hovering there and felito gets up dusts himself off he released another album while he was on the ground He's ready to go again. Same thing with Charles. And they're going to try to grab these girls again. And Felito said that they had to force their way. Like it almost felt like a force field. Like some sort of power repelling them from the girls. But they're fighting it. They, they're going to grab these girls. And as he's reaching towards them. He sees a feminine outline standing next to the girls. It's not like Jessica Rabbit. It's not like a sexy silhouette. He just sees something, a very recognizable female form. But as he's looking at it, it starts to morph into a three-foot-tall man with broad shoulders and a slightly larger, but not gray alien large, but a slightly larger than human bald head. He had large, narrow eyes, pointed ears, 
and was wearing a tight-fitting beige outfit. And Felito is looking at this little man, and the little man looks up at Felito and realizes that he his true form is now being seen. As they're making this eye contact, Felito and Charles are able to grab the girls and begin to pull them back to Earth. Only a couple feet up in the air. But again, when you're levitating against your will, one foot is too tall. As they're grabbing the girls, as he's making eye contact with this being, at once, the humanoid disappears. The two girls are released from this force that was causing them to float in the first place. And Charles and Felito were able to pull the girls down to the ground. It, all, the, it just kind of ended all at the same time. The girls are obviously freaking out, but they need to figure out what happened. Like, Felito and the police officer are like, okay, <laughs> start the story from the beginning, right? Because all we got was you guys hovering in midair with the multicolored lights. These two girls said they were walking down the street, and in front of them appeared the Blessed Virgin Mary. And they mentioned that they had actually seen the Virgin Mary previous to this event. But this time, when they were walking down the street, and she appeared in front of them, she tells them, you need to go somewhere with me. We need to leave this place. Mary says to these two girls, we need to go. I'm going to take you someplace else. I need you to come with me. And she grabs the girls. And the girls immediately begin to experience visions. They see a beautiful destination. And the night sky opens up. It's like a path ascending through the heavens. They can see the road that they're going to go down and the amazing place they will end up. But they don't want to go. So they become panicked. Even though they're seeing this lush paradise, they don't want to go. And they're becoming fearful. And the Blessed Virgin Mary, holding both of them, starts to lift them off the ground and take them down the path into the cosmos. And that is when Felito and Charles saw them surrounded in the multicolored lights. Now, when Felito first got to the scene, that feminine outline he saw, to him, it was the silhouette of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It was a very, very recognizable shape to that icon. That's what he saw, and then he saw it morph into this little three-foot-tall man with the pointed ears. Crazy, fascinating story. It was originally reported in Millennio X, which is a magazine. It's a Spanish-speaking magazine, a UFO magazine. It's written by Jorge Martin. And I got it from thinkaboutitdocs.com. That website is back up, thankfully. It's a great, great website. Thinkaboutitdocs.com, I got it from them cover a lot of this super obscure stuff and this dovetails we did an episode it was the end of season 14 i think it was episode 711 can demons disguise themselves as holy icons and it was about two no it's three girls i think that story took place in the soviet union three girls were outrunning the virgin mary as she was chasing them down a hill and it, that was a weird that was that was a weird one. But here we have th that episode. I go, well, did she have any malicious intent? Like where she was chasing them, but was she trying to like cook them into a stew? We don't know. This one, she's actively kidding. And really, the question goes is that it wasn't the Blessed Virgin Mary in the first story or this one. The question is, can forces of darkness disguise themselves as holy icons? 
So it was a demon pretending to be this person. And this one, we have that transmorgification. We have that image of the Blessed Virgin Mary becoming this little man. And he doesn't fit into the gray alien trope just from the pointed ears and the size of the head. Elfling? Who knows? Demon in training? He hasn't got his hooves yet? Who knows? Creepy story because it goes back to that thing. And now we have even more evidence that yes. And a lot of you people emailed me and on YouTube said... Yes, here are verses from the Bible. Here are other stories where holy figures were just a deceptive camouflage for a darker spirit. And then we have this one where we're actually looking at this, again, alien, fae, demon, who knows? But this is in broad nightlight. I can't say broad daylight, but it was on a busy street corner. People saw this. Felito Felix, guys, Felito Felix saw this fascinating story and it's creepy because it means when you're in that moment of despair when you're in that moment of need and you see that personification of your god or the personification of of an important figure in your religion and they're giving you guidance you have to ask yourself who is talking satan hears your prayers too creepy creepy story creepy story knows what your wants are and it can actually manipulate you yeah, love it. Spooky. I tell these girls, I doubt these girls went to church for a while. But again, it's not the real religious figure. It's not the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's not these other religious figures. It's something mimicking them. Very, very terrifying. Cartoon. I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the world famous Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Puerto Rico. We got 67 albums of pure Felito Felix to listen to all the way out to. Johnson City, Tennessee. And to start this off, I want to give a shout out like I always do. It's probably my favorite book. I use it for research. I read it for fun. I've read it multiple times. Haunted Places, The National Directory, written by Dennis William Houck. That is not an ad read. I get no money. I'm not putting no affiliate links in here. Please pick up a copy of this book. You will not be disappointed. It is such a fun read so many ghost stories and they also do bigfoot and ufos and it's a great book i love it and i have i myself have more than one copy just in case it goes out of print it's my favorite book but and that's where i found out about this story and i did a little more digging and it's just this one's so wacky cartoon land that carpenter copter here at east tennessee state university and we all jump out we got our caps and our gowns on we graduated bro but now we're gonna now we're gonna take a tour of the campus we probably should have done this when we were freshmen but man that's for those lamos so we're walking around throwing frisbees and drinking coffee we're doing the college life thing living in the dorm East Tennessee State University. This is in Johnson City, Tennessee. Now, like all great schools, there's a bunch of ghosts. There's a bunch <laughs> of ghosts running around, right? No one cares about the graduation rate or like how many people matriculate from this to being a doctor or something like that. How many ghosts are there in your school? That should really be whether that should really be the determining factor on where you attend. For a college built in 1911, it doesn't actually have a ton of ghosts. And the ghosts that it has. Seem to be pretty generic, but let's take a walking tour of this haunted campus. The first ghost we're going to meet is the founding president of the school. This is the guy who got the ball rolling on this place. And he just, like, doesn't like you to waste electricity, right? 
So he'll be walking down the hallways. If you leave a light on, he shuts it off. If you leave your television going on late at night, he shuts it off. Shut locks doors and things like that. Pretty benign stuff. You're like, Jason, actually, that's super terrifying, right? And you would think so, but as far, it's kind of lame, right? Like, sure, you want to save electricity, but you're a ghost, bro. You're a ghost. You can float anywhere. You can, like, I don't know... What was my idea last time I would go to the sports arena and mess with all the football games? But no, he's just shutting off lights. That's kind of lame. So on the ghostometer, on the world famous Dead Rabbit Radio ghostometer, we're going to give that two haunts out of ten. It's cool that you exist. It's cool that you've pierced the mortal veil and are now back among the world of the living, but you're not doing much with it. So two out of ten booze. There's also the ghost of this English teacher. Oh, she loves Shakespeare. She loves Shakespeare so much. That she taught it, right? You thought there was a twist there? You thought she was going to become the ghost of York? She loved Shakespeare so much that she taught it, but in the 1970s, she just couldn't handle it anymore. She's like, oh wait, Shakespeare totally sucks. I've wasted my entire life. And she kills herself. And so her ghost is floating around. And now, here's the thing. It would be super awesome if the ghost is like quoting Shakespeare. is like half not that you got a dish towel. And you're like, oh, you're right, I don't. Thanks, dead English teacher. She's floating around school. She's helping people out in Shakespearean ways, right? That would be kind of cool. She's helping, like, young lovers talk to their parents so they don't kill themselves. Pantaloons dancing in midair. That'd be awesome. She haunts a painting, the painting of her dad. And the reason why they know the daughter haunts the painting of her dad is when you walk by this painting, the eyes are girl eyes. They're, they're, I don't know if they have like big, comically large eyelashes, but apparently they're feminine-looking eyes, and when you walk past the painting, they stare at you. Now, on the Boo-O-Meter, on the world-famous Boo-O-Meter, I would actually give that a 4 out of 10 boos, just for originality. I mean, it's not super original, actually. I've seen it in every episode of Scooby-Doo. But you don't really see many ghosts in real life and you inhabit the painting of their dad, right? Just just for that, it gets a couple extra stars, but it doesn't do anything. It's not like you're walking by and the ghost jumps out and scares you. Also, maybe the dad just had feminine eyes. We don't know. But the reason why I wanted to talk about this, I didn't want to just talk about generic ghosts that I didn't even write down their names or the locations where they haunt. I was like, eh, whatever. I wanted to talk about this because this has one of the most unique ghost stories I've come across. I've been racking my brain and I've been thinking, I don't think there's anywhere in the lore that states that this has happened before. Cooper Hall. That's where we're going at right now. Cooper Hall, it used to be the Carter House, as in George and Mayetta Carter. Huge economic mastermind in the area. When you type in George L. Carter, you're going to get a ton of articles, both of the time and recent, talking about all of his contributions to this region of Tennessee. In fact, the land that the university is built on, he donated. Could you imagine being so rich you can go, here's land to build a school, like having that much resources. But he had that, and his house was still part of, you have the college campus, and then he's living next door. And you know that must have been some awesome, like, keggers, ragers back then. We're talking, like, 1910, 1911. But still, they probably had, they were definitely drinking back then and you get all those flapper chicks. That would be awesome now that I think about it. My life goal is to become famous, own a bunch of land, and then donate the land to a college and then just have a bunch of infinite girlfriends. But until I can do that, 
George Carter was living that dream in 1911. And it's him and his wife and their child. He donates all this land. They're still living on the college campus. And then eventually, when he passes away, his house became Cooper Hall, which became a women's dormitory. And in Cooper's Hall, there was a giant stained glass window depicting George's daughter, Alice. And it's this young woman with long flowing hair and this beautiful stained glass window. The problem was, people felt that this stained glass window was haunted. Because what they knew, this story was passed down through generations of students in this girls' dorm in East Tennessee State University. George and Mayetta's daughter, Alice, was haunting Cooper Hall. She had fallen in love with a young man, and George said, you will never marry that man. You cannot be with him. So she takes a lethal amount of rat poison and dies. And George is overcome with grief. If his daughter had just not tried to defy the stars, she'd still be here with him. And in honor of her, he had this giant stained glass image of her made. And it was their house. And in 1935, when he passed away and his wife passed away, the house became property of the college, became the girl's dorm, and this stained glass window remained. By 1936, it was a woman's dormitory, and you'd be walking through the halls late at night, and you'd hear a woman singing down these empty, dark hallways. That was if you were lucky. That was if you lucked out, because sometimes you'd be dead asleep, and you would hear an unearthly scream pierce the night. A woman in pain and terror yelling at the top of her lungs. But when you would investigate it, no cause could be found. You'd be walking through the dormitory and you could feel eyes on you. Someone was watching you. An invisible stalker. Objects would go missing as well. All of these things added up to the place must be haunted. And the students and staff realized that the phenomenon seemed to be emanating from the stained glass. Like, the closer you were to it, the more likely you would hear the screaming, the more likely you would start losing items in your room. Eventually, they stopped having to be a dormitory. Oh, you know, we, we have an other purpose built for this, but staff always thought it's just no one wants to be there. So they switch it over to offices. And they also have a campus radio station uh, built there as well. That's where that's housed. And they start reporting this bizarre phenomenon as well. Alice is still mucking about the house. The school ends up abandoning the building, and for a time period, no one was using it. And again, the word around campus was, it's too haunted to use. You couldn't use it as a dormitory, you couldn't use it as offices, and no one wants to be at the campus radio station at 3 in the morning. For a while, it sat completely abandoned. And then the campus decides we could renovate it. But they made the decision to tear down the entire building. Ah, it's cost too much to renovate. We're talking about a house that was built and lived in by the guy who basically made the college possible. You think this would be a landmark. But they say, no, it'll cost too much to renovate, and they demolish the house. But before they demolished the house, somebody went in and removed the stained glass and took it. So the building is raised. And it no longer sits there today. And that's just typical ghost lore. That alone is just on the same level. That story alone, I'd give it just because of the screaming. And it takes place in a girl's dormitory. I'd probably give it seven boos out of ten. I like the location. 
And this ghost is pretty active and it's pretty spooky. What makes this, on a scale of 1 to 10, an 11? I have not come across any story like this before. This episode's probably going to run a little long because I haven't really scratched the surface on this, but I want to hammer this home. There was a local historian there in Johnson City. His name is Ray Stahl. He wanted to write about the haunting of Cooper Hall. Just like a fun puff piece, probably. And he starts digging into this. And he finds out Alice isn't real. Now, I'm not saying the ghost stuff never happened. Because that did. People reported that. But George and Mayetta never had a daughter. They had one child, a son, named James Walters Carter. But according to accounts, they didn't want a son. They wanted a daughter. They wanted a daughter so bad, they raised James as a girl. It could have been they just wanted a girl and just kind of left it at that. It could have been that they raised him as a girl. We don't know if he was trans, like it was his decision. That's why I'm not using that terminology, because what it seems like is it was out of his control. His parents wanted a girl. We have no evidence that this is something that he desired of himself. But when he dies, his ghost comes back as a, this is how it is described, a female version of James Walter Carter. Apparently, people who have encountered this spirit have has described her as looking, like, compared to photos, I guess, because the account that I read said it was described as a female version of James Walters Carter. So here, this boggles my mind, and I've really been spending a, a couple days kind of having this ping pong in the back of my head. I don't think, and again, we, we don't have any way to tell, but from the narratives that come across that it wasn't his decision to be raised as a girl or to be immortalized as a woman in this stained glass window because that apparently is supposed to be James. But they made him so feminized in the stained glass that people going forward thought that James didn't know James existed. They thought it was a girl named Alice who was the daughter. This is really what I'm getting at here. Who creates the ghosts? Who creates the ghosts? When I die, my legacy will be what people remember of me. And what people remember about you is usually not the total truth. It very rarely is. You're not able to make amends so they could always think you were just a total jerk because of the last two weeks of your life. Or you could be remembered as a great guy when you actually did all sorts of awful things in private. Or you could have been a horrible person, but people just want to remember you as a good person because since they were your associates, they want to think of themselves as good people and they hung out with a good person. They don't want to think about all the horrible things they know you did because then that implicates them. There are all sorts of things, but who creates the ghost? Because when I die, the memories of me are my image. That will be what people remember me as. James Carter dies before his parents. But they never acknowledged him as a boy. They always wanted a girl. And they immortalize him as a girl in the stained glass window. And their psychic energy created a female ghost. 
a female image of their son, James. I can't think of any other ghost story I've ever encountered over decades of researching where someone returns as a different sex than they died. I can't think of any of them. But here we have one. The one that's fairly well documented or known in the area. You have someone who is returning. They were male in life and now they're appearing as female in death. There's nothing else like that in the literature that I've ever come across. And I think it, I think it could easily be argued if you had a transgendered man. If when he dies, he comes back as a man. He was biologically born a woman and he comes back as a man, as a ghost. I think you, I, I think you could easily discuss that and go, well, that would make sense. Because that was the spiritual essence they felt was a male essence. Fine, whatever. But this isn't that. As far as we can tell, he was forced. Like his parents wanted him to be a girl so badly. That's what they remembered him as in death. And they created her ghost. So it really, really boggles your mind. Like if that is really James' spirit and he was tormented in life by parents forcing him to be something that he wasn't supposed to be, that he didn't want to be, and then dying, possibly from killing himself, right? That origin story may be the same. From dying, and then he's brought back into an eternity of being what he didn't want to be. Even in death, his parents still control his destiny. That is, That alone is insane. Then you just open it up to all ghosts. Like, why is it if I went to Britain and I'm walking through a haunted castle, I would expect to see Marie Antoinette walking around holding her head, right? Her head got chopped off or something like that, maybe? Or hung? Is that really the ghost of that person? Is that really them? Or is that something that we've been told, so that's what we see? I'm not saying that the ghost image itself is fake, but is it taking the form of what we expect like, if I saw Marie Antoinette's ghost, I would imagine her to have big boobs and have, like, one of those cut-off little tops, like, with the square in the top so you could see the cleavage, like a bar winch from a D&D manual. That's what I would expect. Maybe you would expect her to be more modest. So you would see her walking around in, like, a, a, sack, of, a sack of potatoes. But if someone told you the day she died she was dressed super sexy, because she knew someday she'd be a ghost then we would both see the sexy ghost. Do you get what I'm getting at? It's the ghosts aren't... Again, I'm, I'm saying the ghosts are real, but the stories that we tell form the image. And you can actually make the ghost conform to the imaginary versus the reality. With Marie Antoinette's case, we're talking about how much cleavage we see. With James's case... He was controlled in life, and now his soul is controlled in death. It's just, it's one of those stories I came across, and I was like, this, it's going to take me a while to process this, honestly. Like, what does this mean for the life after death experience? What does this mean for, <laughs> this really cracks it open. Who creates the ghosts? If your soul is now bound to this earth for whatever reason, you're not completely finished with your work or a cursed death or something like that. If your soul is bound to earth, who determines 
what you do. I always assumed, I know the first thing I want to do is walk on the ocean floor. I want to do that. And then, and then after that, I'll probably just play video games. Watch people play video games, float around, you know, Casper style, solve some mysteries maybe. But what if it's what if a bunch of chowderheads want to imagine me like stuck in a Home Depot? I'm stuck in like the rotary saw section. Like that's not that's not good, right? Who controls the ghosts? Who determines where your soul spends eternity? Or even more importantly, how, what your soul is, how you act, how you feel, what you look like. Will that be the true representation of you, untethered from all mortal bounds? Or will it depend on how people remember you? Who creates the ghosts? It's a question I didn't even know we had to ask until we took a little trip to East Tennessee State University. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.